Hi, my name is Deborah Ogden and I would like to welcome you to On Brand With. Through this podcast, I want to bring you into my world of personal brand and impact and hopefully bring it to life through the experiences of me and my guests. Over the coming episodes, I will talk to a range of people I know and admire and ask them about the different ways they use their personal brand, the positive benefits it can bring and what best practice looks like in the real world. So this week is the first time I have had a guest come back. And it is my very good friend, Paul Dodd, and I am so thrilled to welcome him back. And the first episode is first uh, time we recorded the podcast together. It's one of the ones I've had most feedback on. Everybody loved it. And during that episode, we said, I think there's room for a part two. And that's exactly what this is. And I know that this is the first time that Paul's really shared his story publicly. So I am so, so privileged for him to have done that. But um, yes, it's four years, an anniversary since a rather big event, life-changing event in Paul's life. Hey? Yeah, certainly was. Yeah, um, I had a a brain hemorrhage four years ago on the 27th of January. So, yeah, it was um, obviously life-altering, ground-shaking, uh, intense, um, the worst thing I've ever been through. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it shook up me and everyone around me, I think, yeah, and that even sort of extends to, you know, p- people I know in business just who are, me- who are me networking said they reconsidered their life after they heard my news, so... It sort of had shockwaves that, that drifted a lot further than I thought they would, actually, Deborah. A lot yeah, further than um, I thought they would, yeah. I can remember the phone call and somebody, you know, Debbie telling me, and it was one of those moments where, even for me, the world stood still a little bit and you have to process it. So, yeah, um, yeah. and I know we've known each other a long time, but it certainly made me reevaluate things. Yeah, then that's because I was, you know, Four years ago, what, 30, 37 or so, you know, um, pretty healthy, I would say, you know, mm. um, I was at that point, I was swimming um, two, three times a week. I was doing Pilates from, from my back, you know, after sitting down at the computer all day. Um, I was, you know, just going for runs. I was a pretty healthy guy and this thing floored me, absolutely floored me. And I think, you know, people thought it happened so fast. And it could have been lights out straight away, really. So that, mm. I think that's what shocked people. That's what that's what a brain hemorrhage is shocking because it's it, it's instant and it's out of the blue, and yeah. um, it just happens so fast. I think it's yeah. probably tapping into as as a person. It's probably tapping into one of our greatest fears as well, isn't it? That yeah. there's no warning, and from no. the people around you as well, that fear of everything's normal one moment and then who knows could be gone. It, yeah. it, it reminds me of a story does that so when my son was about three years old um mm. he was just sat on my lap and um we, we were scrolling through 
photos and um we, we got to a photo of um my wedding you know with with him, me and his mum um and he just said you know imagine three years old he yeah. said um what's this and i said it's 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 our wedding day it's when we got married he said where was i i said oh you, you weren't born and he was like so what what i wasn't there i said no no you weren't even born he said was he in another room and I, was like, <laughs> I said no he didn't exist he did not exist and he's like was it nana's and i was like no no you, you didn't exist like at all and he just he, he wouldn't get it he wouldn't get it and he just kept saying so I wasn't in Nana's, wasn't in another room, was, was it with Grandma? And I was like, no, you didn't exist at all. He says, where was I then? And I just, I just said, um, well, you were, you were a twinkle in Daddy's eye. And he said, <laughs> oh, right. And I thought, oh, God, I sorted that one out. And then he goes, how did I get out? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to get into this at three years old. And um, I was like, oh, God, what do I say? Uh, what do I say? And then I said, um, I said, it was magic. It was magic. And he, he was like, oh, wow, wow, that's brilliant. And then he shut up and I thought, oh, I dodged a bullet there. And then he said, did you wave a magic wand? Oh. <laughs> and I said, well, sort of, you know, you know, sort of, mate. Um, but, you know, your mummy never calls it that, but um, it was just, it, I don't know what, what, it was obviously a funny story, but um, even at three years old, right, his sense of self was so well developed that he couldn't imagine not existing, right? And if that's at three years old, right, what chance have we got? It's obviously hardwired in. Mm. It's obviously hardwired into humans to um, sort of uh, feel like we're always going to be here. Um, and it, was, it wasn't until many years later when he obviously learned the concept of death. And um, I mean, every parent's had it. He turned around and said to me, Daddy, I, I don't want to die. Mm. And um, you always pride yourself on being able to look after your kids and protect them and, and, you know, keep them from pain. And at that point, yeah, the world gets, you know, the floor gets taken from you because you realise you can't do anything about that. And, um, you know, you, you just sort of skirt around it and say, you don't have to worry about that now. But, um, you know, the, again, that sense of self was so well developed, even at three. Um, and I think we all, we all have that. We all have that, don't we? You can't, you can't imagine not existing it's it's the fear of the darkness and the um the the, the void the nothing as someone one of my friends called it the nothing it goes into a spiral thinking about the nothing <laughs> so it, it, yeah do you if know I'm, what i mean yeah, oh and um i'm just sort of processing it as you're speaking and if i'm honest i don't go there i no. don't go there um even this year when everything that we've all been through with COVID and my mum was poorly a couple of years ago with breast cancer, uh, my dad's 80 and you start to, I had a conversation with um, a, a family member who works at Christie's at the cancer hospital with uh, an amazing, amazing lady and um, Hannah said to me but the thing is that when you've been through illness like that or you get to a certain age you face your mortality and that for me just blew my mind a little bit and there's a little bit of naivety maybe that I, I don't want to go there and then there are some mm -hmm. days I think well perhaps you should face the facts and, yeah. and it's a really 
I don't know how do you how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, it obviously became um, I, I couldn't get away from that fact four years ago, really. So it, it, it happened on. Um, we were we were packing up to go to um, Chester to visit my mum and dad, and we had um, me and my wife had um, a, a, a spa weekend booked in. <laughs> you know, we were meant to be in this this completely amazing zen-like spa, getting massages and these oh, am- the amazing hey? water, like you know, therapies. And um, you know, I ended up in the ICU in in Leeds, um, looking very very poorly. So it, it, we were just packing to 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 go away. And then um, I was just upstairs. I just bent over to to pick some clothes from a drawer, and something just hit me at the back of the head, just out of nowhere. Um, it felt like I'd sort of been hit with a hammer, in a way. Um, and immediately, I just, I just, I just went, oh, something's wrong. And then um, Susie said, "What? What's up?" And I just said, "I've just got to lie down." So I, I lay down on the bed, and this this pain in the back of my head. Um, at that point, it wasn't, you know, it was going to get a lot worse. Let's put mm. it that way. And I said, you've got to turn the light off. Um, I just need to lie here for a bit. And she, she told me, mum, that we're probably not coming. Paul's, Paul's mm-hmm. gone ill. Um, and within the next hour, every time I stood up, um, it was absolutely crushing. I could barely walk down the stairs and this pain was just getting worse and worse and worse. And I had the stiffest neck you could imagine. And um, I kept asking for the lights to be turned down. Um, and then it got to the point within an hour and a half, I, I was just, I was, it, it was excruciating. Um, they call it the worst sort of, um, the worst head pain like ever. That's what people describe it as, you know, it's, you, you can't really use words to describe something like that. It's, you've got to experience it, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we phoned up, um, 111, I don't know. I mean, looking back. Um, you know, it was a nine nine nine. It was it was a blue light situation because, yeah. you know, um, late, later on they told me some of the stats. This is when I was better. Fifty um, percent of people die from this. You know, one, one in two people, and we're there phoning one one, waiting for an hour from to get back to us. So they they told me to you know take paracetamol and um, they explain my symptoms, and then it, we were waiting for an out of hours appointment with the doctor and. Um, in the end, I just said to Susie, "Get me to hospital now." And did you know? Did you know it was something? Were you frightened at that point? Yeah, yeah. I've had friends who've had these things called thunderclap headaches. Okay. Um, again, a friend ended up in hospital with that. Um, and you know, Susie suffers from migraines. I was just wondering, is it any of these? Uh, there was a build-up to this, which I'll tell you a bit later on. Remind me, because I'll forget, because that's what mm. a brain memory does. <laughs> I forget things. My short-term memory is shot, right? Okay. So um, we didn't blue light then. Mm. We found a bloody taxi. And it, all I can say is the worst taxi ride ever. Um, luckily, someone came over to look after my son. He was only six at that point. Um, and uh, it's just the worst taxi ride. We went to Pinderfield Hospital Um but it was the hottest taxi I've ever been in. We had to ask him to open all the windows. He had this music blasting, like Capital FM or something. I just said, you've got to turn that off. Because I'm like, mm. my head's in a vice at this point. My whole head felt like it was being crushed in an absolute vice. Um, and, you know, we, we screeched into Pinderfields and um, they put me in a, 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 a wheelchair right at the entrance and wheeled me in and I'm it's obviously you can't see this as a podcast but I'm holding my head and I'm rocking just going help me help me 
and you know normally you're, there's a bit of a waiting room for a and e no 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 waiting room <laughs> i got sent straight through to triage um and i had a ct scan within 20 minutes right and you know if you've been to a and e you know what that's like you know how fast mm. that is right you know how serious that must be so um i had a ct scan and i'm i'm just they haven't given me any painkillers at this point because they they needed to ct scan without See, that well, and i'm yeah. i'm just, i'm in pe- absolutely crushing telling them to turn the lights off my neck's really stiff um it's just horrendous absolutely horrendous obviously my wife's there being amazing um you know holding my hand through it and staying really calm um and the cts came back ct scan came back and it was um it was okay couldn't find anything um but obviously my symptoms were really worrying particularly which they told me later the stiff neck I've not heard that before. Yeah, the yeah. stiff neck um, was a, was a massive giveaway sign, and because I kept asking to turn the lights down, as well, you can be really sensitive to to light when you have a brain hemorrhage. Um, obviously, the head pain was, you know, <laughs> insane, but there can be a number of reasons for that. But um, so they 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 give me a load of painkillers, they give me a load of morphine, and then I was I was sky high then. Obviously, um, Susie said I just kept swearing. <laughs> I don't know what it did to me. It sort of unlocked something. And I'm there sort of like, you know, in a bit of a daze, really. They give me so much stuff. And then I'm amazed said, how much you remember of it, though, Paul. I know. Considering I can't remember what I said 10 minutes ago, I, I remember mm. this in crystal clear detail, mm. actually. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. You know, we spent spent the night there. Um, my mum and dad come up to look after my son, Um you know, everyone was worried, but uh, they said we need to do a lumbar puncture. And do you know what they are? When That's you, at the you, bottom of your back, Yeah, you have some yeah. fluid taken from the bottom of your spine because if you have a brain hemorrhage, blood travels all the way down to that sort of point and they can they can um, test the level of blood in your, in the fluid at the bottom of your spine. And the procedure itself can be absolutely horrible. But So they did that um, in the next morning, actually, and I got sent to my own room... Um, Someone's coming in doing four four hourly obs. I was I was able to so this was throughout the day. I was able to get up and walk. One point I walked all the way downstairs so on the top floor, all the way down the corridor to go and get some food because my wife had gone back to go and get extra supplies. And I'm this is all on my own, right? I'm walking upstairs, and then um, the uh, it was middle of the night. It was middle of the night sometime, maybe three. I just just managed to get to sleep. Um, and this doctor just burst in, turned the light on. I'm in an absolute daze. And very matter-of-factly told me, um, I've got a, I've, I've had a brain hemorrhage. You know, the, the results have come back from your lumbar, pun- lumbar puncture. And you've got to go to Leeds now. Because right. that's the specialist brain injury unit. And then he says, um, anything else you need, ask the nurse, bye. <laughs> and just, like, <laughs> you know... Legged it Empathy. out of the door, left me on my own. I'm yeah. in, I'm in like floods of tears. Um, and the nurse came in and um, she said, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "No, I'm not." You know, I was at absolute bits. And uh, she talked me through it. You know, maybe sort of helped me understand it a little bit. And um, I phoned my wife and um, her and my dad came over that you know that night. And it wasn't until like eight o'clock in the next morning, which was a Sunday, but by that point. Um, I've been waiting like six, seven hours for an ambulance, and um, wow. they wheeled me into the ambulance. And um, the guy was great; he was a bit mad. And um, 
we, we told him what had happened and he said, well, listen, mate, if you have a brain hemorrhage, have it, have it in Leeds because they're brilliant. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay, it sort of gives me a little bit of confidence. But he said they are the best. They're actually yeah, the best. Yeah, um, yeah. So th- I got talking to Leeds, right, in the ICU. Considering I'd been in my own room with four hourly obs, right, and being able to walk everywhere, I get there, there's four people stood around this bed saying, we've been waiting six hours for you. It's wow. it's surrounded by machines. And they said, you get in that bed and you lie down and you do not move. You do not move. All you can do is lift the headboard about 30 degrees and that is it. And um, they started plugging me into everywhere. I'm, I'm literally plugged in everywhere. And um, at that point, I... <laughs> It sort of dawned on me how serious this was. Yeah. And uh, if, okay, so the, the stats of 50% of people who die, um, that's sort of not straight away. You know, most people die within the first three days. So right. they're actually key. And so for me to be walking around on my own was probably yeah. the worst thing I could have done. And um, anyway, <laughs> it was. That's another story yeah. altogether, isn't it? It's just it's it's insane, really. Thinking what what could have happened there, um, and it would have been their, it would have been their fault, really. <laughs> it would have been Pinderfield's fault. But um, anyway, in Leeds, it was they were amazing. So you know, I was talking about four hourly obs in 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 um, kind of Pinderfields in Leeds. Someone was sat at the end of my bed. <laughs> They were sat watching, at the end of my bed watching there. me, you know, because it was like real time obs, you know, because I was yeah. plugged in everywhere. They could see what was going on and they were adjusting stuff. And then um, they said, we've got to find out where this, this, you've obviously had an aneurysm that's burst. We need to find out where it is. So I had a couple more procedures, which were crazy, um, where they inject that kind of dye into you and um, mm-hmm. it lights up your brain, which is honestly like... It's like someone's shot a, a molten through your head. That's all I can describe it as. This one, is that this the photograph that you posted on? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'll yeah, share it was, that one. Yeah, we... they, they 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 shoot this dye in through your through your arm, and one of the things they say is you're going to feel like you've wet yourself when it goes <laughs> in, and you do actually. You just you honestly feel like you've, you've let go. But this this dye shoots into your brain, and it's like it's like it lights up your head. And I saw all these these flashes of light go across my eyes. It's like lightning, like blue yeah. lightning, and because it, this it lights it's... all the ve- ventricles and everything in in your brain. And they couldn't find it, and they couldn't find it, and they couldn't find it. And then I just heard him say, um, there it is, guys. Zoom in, section three, whatever. Um, he says, there it is. And um, he come, he, he sort of finishes the procedure, and he comes over. And um, well, now, this before he came over, I heard him on the phone, right? This was, sh- this was shocking, because um, I heard him ordering a stent in. But it was it was a bit sort of like surgery doctors, mm. you know, mm. brain surgeon speak. speak. I couldn't, yeah. and it, it sounded really, really, really bad, like really bad. And I got wheeled into recovery, and I was inconsolable. Right, um, I even the brain surgeon who was obviously amazing, but very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Even he stopped and cracked because he said you're going to be fine. And I just said, but what if I'm not? And he just. It, it, just for one second I saw him see a human rather than a patient you know um and I was in bits absolute bits my wife was there amazing she stayed calm she probably cried her eyes out afterwards um but I was she, gonna she say was, this that superhuman strength isn't it that yeah. people find in that moment so of crisis Susie was was just absolute rock she was amazing um 
and I, 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 the people, you know, the people who were helping the surgeon out do the procedure, they they were crying. I had, I remember glimpsing a guy through the the curtains uh, the other way. He was crying because I don't know if he was about to go in for something similar. It was just like it was intense, right? Intense. And what 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 we realised had happened was he was talking about two patients at the same time, and the other person was a lot lot worse than me sort of like you know touch and go whether they'd make mm. it mm. and um mm. he ordered these two stents in because i needed two and um i got wheeled back to the ward and um he, then he said uh we need to we need to do a brain surgery it's about three four hours um we're going to insert two millimeter wide stents into your brain to protect wow. this aneurysm and if we don't do it it could burst again and you've got a 50 50 chance of making it what what do you want to do <laughs> And of course, they told me all the risks of the procedure. You know, the procedure could cause a stroke. You could be brain damaged. And of course, you, there's a chance you won't make won't make it anyway. So um, sign this. It's, I mean, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. <laughs> if you pardon the pun. <laughs> it was a no-brainer that I had to do it. But um, what, what a decision to make, you know, and when you're signing that piece of paper. Yeah. I mean, any surgery, they make you sign, don't they? And you you read it and you just think, blimey, if I read this then... And I've got to the point now, uh, you know, when I've been in for a procedure that I don't even read it, I just sign it because if I started to read it and go there, but for something so... um, Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. I've I've had that kind of... I've signed those things before and thought nothing of it because they were more routine, but this one was... Yeah. Yeah, this one made me think, let's just say that. Um, and so he said, we, we're going to get you in for surgery. He said, um, if I don't do it tonight by six, um, it's going to be in the morning. Because um, he goes, it's a big procedure. And he goes, I want you to be fresh. And I said, I want you to be fresh. <laughs> it's gonna- I could, I'm going to be knocked out on the, the, the gurney, you know. Um, Did and- you trust him? Did you? Yeah, yeah. He was. He, they told me he was the best. They told me he was the best, and he was he was a renowned surgeon, and he was just so matter of fact. Honestly, it was really was another day at the office, Deborah. It was just another day at the office. Um, so, you know, we, we that night everyone had come to see me. Um, obviously, everyone was in bits when they did. Um, did Kylan come at that point? Well, I'd I'd asked him to come because I thought I was going in for surgery that, yeah. that afternoon, and um, I just said. You've got to get him out of ho- you've, you've got to get him out of school because um, I need to give him a hug. <laughs> this is the bit that gets me every time. As a parent, you just can't even you can't even begin to imagine. I can't give it. You're all right. <laughs> Take a moment. Let's have a breather. So, he, you know, he, he didn't realise why he was being brought out of school. He was kicking off because he was enjoying school. Bless school. Um, you know, and he came in and I, I didn't look good, obviously. You know, I was, I was hooked up to all this stuff. He didn't understand what was going on. Did he know Daddy was poorly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. he knew he was poorly. And I'd heard later on, he'd been asking, Nana, is, is my daddy going to die? Oh.
that's something that you of never course, want my mum's in bits anyway yeah, i'm her son you know and she's going <laughs> yeah she's she's saying to him no no he's going to be fine and then thinking actually i don't know <laughs> so she's going through she's called it the worst time of her life so she you know, my dad brought him from school <laughs> if we can lighten the mood it took about an hour and a half to get there because he went round. he got caught in the loop <laughs> in Leeds, <laughs> which is a nightmare because <laughs> I'm normally with him d- directing him where to go so um, he, he, he came and had a hug and I, I can't, you know that I can't really remember that stuff no really it was probably too intense but then he um, they came and said it Sorry, someone's coming for a procedure that needs doing now. Um, you're you're going to be tomorrow. Um, I said okay, that's fine. And it, that that night, right, it was that was a long, long dark I was night. Say that soul. must be the longest night of your life. Yeah, because I couldn't get any sleep anyway. You know, I, I, I couldn't even I couldn't even turn over. I had that many wires in me. It's all I could do was lie there, um, and people were taking obs and doing doing all that stuff so much. I didn't get I didn't get any sleep really. It was a dark night of the soul, um, and at one point the um, the surgeon came in. This was maybe about four o'clock in the morning. He comes in in his scrubs and he says um, he says right, I've just done me my last procedure. He says um, I'm going to go home and have a drink now, and. Uh, <laughs> She said, aren't you putting two stents in in the morning? This is shouting over, yeah. over the... Aren't you putting two stents in the morning? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, I better go and get some sleep and and, and, and legs it. Um, and, of course, I'm, I sets me off. I'm in bits and I call her over and she, she said, oh, don't worry, he's, he won't do that. He's just having a joke. And I was like, I don't need jokes. <laughs> and no word of a lie, 8 o'clock the next morning when I got rolled down to surgery... He was there with his Costa coffee. He he looked as bright as the day, way more on it than bright than probably I ever look on any normal morning. These guys, he says, I do this twenty four seven, and he said, you're my you're my third in a day type of thing. Yeah. And he said, what did he say to me? Come on, you're young. You've got good veins. You'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so they wheeled me in. Yeah. They wheeled me in. Um, and they, you know, when the guy injected this stuff in my arm, the anaesthetic, and you're staring up, going, "This might be it." Yeah. <laughs> just what, what at that point, I'd, I'd sort of delved into my spiritual side all all that night. I remember my mum saying to me, "Paul, you you're the one who teaches everyone else about this. I'm always the one saying, oh, you've got to listen to Eckhart Taller, and there's this guy called Wayne Dyer, and there's Ram Dass, and you know, look into Buddhism and all this really deep spiritual stuff. I'm quite often a conduit to that. And she said, this is your time now. Mm-hmm. You've got to draw on all that. And um, yeah, I had to. I had to really because I just I just had to think positively and think. Um, it's going to be fine and and if not you know i'm going to see the uh the stairs and the light and, and visit someone on the other side all that kind of stuff that i've read paul do you reckon though because i i know we've talked about um spirituality and eckhart tolle and things over the years even pre um this and I think you were the person that introduced me to Eckhart Tolle so and 
I truly believe, and I think since, I think hitting 50 for me was quite a big thing. So I, I started to be more open, maybe more curious. And I do believe sometimes that we find these things to get us through. And for me, it's got me through the last 12 months. And I wonder mm. if you felt that you found those to get you, you know, those guides yeah. to get you through that. Absolutely, yeah, because I'd... I've been on that path for almost decades, really. Um, read a lot of stuff, listened to a lot of stuff, you know, been and seen people. Um, yeah, there's a guy called Steve Taylor, who's an amazing author, and he wrote a book called Out of the Darkness. I think it was, Out of the Darkness. And it's about spiritual awakenings at, at sort of the lowest point. And the, these are people who, you know, are in immense trauma and pain, but they're having an awakening right at that point. And... Sometimes that's people who've only got a week left to live, but they live the rest of that week in complete spiritual bliss because what they do is they lose all their attachments and all, all that, all that, all that. I'm going to be this one day, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to own that, and I'm going to, I'm going to, going to get there. They realise it's all, you know, pointless, and so they actually just become super, super uber present and they just feel the aliveness in the present moment and even though they only had a week left to live the spiritual awakening just made that easier so i think i think there's a lot of that stuff going around my head at that time and okay so i i got put under you know um three four hour brain surgery all for my groin right so they insert they inserted one millimeter stents so that's why i haven't got a they didn't cut my head open it was too dangerous you know to go all the way up like they call it the A1. They said that from, from your groin to your head, it's like the A1. It goes straight there. But then, obviously, once you get to the brain, it's got to make its way around all those crazy kind of um, veins. And, um, A bit like the Leeds Loop Road that your dad yeah. was trying to navigate. <laughs> yeah. And um, obviously, spoiler alert, I, I made it. <laughs> you know, um, I, when I woke up, right, I can't describe the, the feeling of, of opening my eyes. I did was, you know straight away? Yeah, I knew straight away. I was I was absolutely I was I was on cloud nine for, for that whole day. I've never sort of felt so high in a way. Um, I was probably pumped with drugs and stuff as well, <laughs> which probably helped because it was the day after I crashed a little bit and I realised mm. there was a bit of a long road ahead of recovery. But um, right at that point, I, I mean, this guy was wheeling me through back to recovery. I remember talking to him about bloody Paul McCartney and the Beatles right and you know I'm a massive Beatles fan I'm like why am I talking this shit I I think I was obviously a bit off off my head but um you know I got him to phone my wife and and poor Susie she'd she'd (laughs) she'd been waiting you know like four hours in a in a hospital corridors and Costa Coffee trying not to think the worst you know like you see on the movies you know when they're just pacing the so I didn't see any of that. She's had, she's had to tell me that afterwards, you know. Um, so she must have been in, in bits. and um, So so must have everyone, really, my mum, my dad. Um, Kylan was a bit, bit young to, you know, they were just saying, your daddy's going in for some work and he's going to be fine afterwards. Um, but and I, I, I made it. I, I, within half an hour of getting back to my ward, I'm texting people, right? And my mate said... I mean, you just had bloody brain surgery. <laughs> Get off like, the phone. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And he went, it's going to take more than that to keep the Dodster down. <laughs> and um, yeah, I was just absolutely buzzing. I can't, can't describe it really. Absolutely buzzing. 
and there was this one funny story so this was the night before a lot of my friends had come to see me um a lot of family obviously one of my friend rich he, you know he's um amazing guy but he's, he's he's a he's a big fella right you know he's he's a, he's a unit and yeah. um he, he was just been waiting downstairs all day and he couldn't come and see me because i was i was too poorly and susie said why are you still here been there for six seven hours and i said why are you still here and he said i've got nowhere else to go and when i when i watch all these movies they all just sit in the hospital waiting so i thought that's what i was gonna do and he was amazing yes. with my son he um he he was just drawing with Kyle and doing all this stuff. And then um, they finally let him come up and see me. And he bounded in, right? <laughs> and he took his top off. And he ran over to me and jumped on me and gave me a hug, right? And you can imagine I'm in the brain ICU specialist one, told not to move. All these nurses like... <gasps> and Susie says, why do you take your top off? And he said, I thought you had to have skin-to-skin contact. <laughs> I was like... I that's with a baby <laughs> and he said i just didn't know what to do <laughs> it was just so uh, funny but um you know do stuff you remind like that him of that <laughs> i do yeah yeah i do but he was he was solid that day but then when it, well, actually when i recovered he came and broke broke down and he said uh, i wasn't ready to lose you yet so he was obviously putting on a brave kind of face um so yeah that's there's lots more details i'm sure i've missed but round and about that's the story of how it happened and um it was the day later uh, i i was on quite a lot of meds you know um i mean susie had to have so many alarms on her phone when we mm. got home you know i spent about a week in hospital but the day after the the brain surgeon came down with these tablets and he says i mean up to this point you've been quite matter of fact and quite blase i would say you know which mm. you kind of want don't you, you yeah you kind of if they got if they got emotionally attached they couldn't do the job could they so you know it, it was it was perfect really but he came over and he he stopped us and he said you take these pills religiously every four hours till they finish so and then he did one and, and of course we were then shaking looking on going yeah we better take these every four hours if he is saying that because what can happen afterwards is even worse than what can happen before really so those first couple of days are, are kind of key really to, to recovery and not not um Oh, Susie would probably tell you all the terminology, I can't remember what, you know, there's certain things that can happen straight afterwards, I can't remember what they're called, but yeah, um, I mean, when they when they told me about some of the stats, so if one in two people would die, and of the ones who survived, two thirds are permanently disabled in some way, um, and look at me, how, how amazing to be yeah. blessed. Yeah, I'm talking about it to you. <laughs> <laughs> and you hear the story and you... I can't say you're one of the lucky ones because there's there's no luck about what you've been through, but it wasn't your time, was it? No, no. And I, I remember, I'm not I'm not a religious man. I'm a spiritual man. But when I was on that trolley being given an anaesthetic, I bloody well prayed. <laughs> Absolutely. I think we all prayed as well. Uh, yeah. I yeah. said, get me through this, and I'm not going to waste a, a bloody minute of my life. And have you held to that? I think so. Yeah. For so years later, right? For years later, even now, in, but for years later, very intensely, I was kind of in a state of real presence. You know, the the, the small stuff didn't sort of bother me like at all. It's kind of crept its way in a little bit, but um, you know, I've, I've sort of retained this. Um, what 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 I lost was, um, 
my attachment to all them goals and what I was going to be and what I was going to do and because you know one of the worst things you can obviously say to yourself is I'll I'll do it someday I'll start that tomorrow Um, you know my someday nearly stopped right there and then so I I just thought right I'm going to do it today I'm not bothered about what happens tomorrow but if I start it today that's enough for me and I've sort of kept to that I sort of kept to that because I had I had a load of kids books that I've been writing for years never really kind of done anything with them you know within a year I'd written and finished eight of them because I just said to myself what am I waiting for I was, I was waiting for tomorrow um, and my tomorrow nearly stopped you know it nearly got taken from me like like instantly so what the bloody hell is the point in waiting just just you never know what's you know it's all cliche cheesy stuff but honestly you, you honestly never know what's going to happen tomorrow it's cliche um, for a reason though isn't it yeah yeah i mean you can obviously have long-term illnesses where you can prepare but mine was instant and i was quite young really you know quite young and healthy so i think that's why people said it, it had such an effect but what what have you ever heard of the ego when the spiritual guys talk yeah, about the ego yeah, you know yeah, that kind yeah. of I call it the Mego. Mm. It's it's that sense of me and you know my story and and you know what my possessions. I own this. This is mine. This is my house. This is my car. And this is kind of an illusion, really. And it's this sense of me. It, it sort of broke down in the hospital a little bit. It kind of got dismantled. Did that, and I came out of it the other side with um, a, a much more kind of um, spiritual view of life. I reckon. I, you know, I'm much more present, and uh, yeah, the, losing attachment to all those goals and just deciding whatever you do today is enough. Yeah, I, I, when I, I, first... I do planning. You know, I do planning. I set yeah. goals, but I'm not attached to them, and that's that is that kind of Buddhist. You know, um, be, be attached to nothing but connected to everything. You know, <laughs> I think I think that would be the one thing that I've seen change because when we first met gosh we first met maybe eight eight years ago and um you are larger than life and you you, even before then you always lived life to the full didn't you and and you were mindful and you you're one of um life's radiators and anyway what I'm trying to say is that there was that drive there and I feel that that drive has softened now and it's yeah, much more yeah. of um, an acceptance and a mindfulness to show up every day and show yeah. up as the best you every day but it's about today, it's not about five years, ten years. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know it was visible. Um, I think because... Um, in some ways you could have said all that drive and all that stress that you create around doing all this stuff especially running your own business um it might have contributed to me blowing a gasket you know um i mean my my team who took over the running the business without any training (laughs) overnight um they didn't know if i was coming back you know they thought i might just say i've had enough of this it's too it's too stressful you know and i had a good i had a good two to three months off but um my first day back was filming for the bloody bbc we got this we got this call saying do you want to do a project for a program (laughs) and my first day back at work i was being filmed to be on the bbc it was crazy (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> straight in at the deep end. It was, and if I'd have been employed, right, I'd have had six to 12 months off, I think, mm. without any batting of an eyelid. You know, my brain surgeon had to sign that off. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I couldn't do it, because obviously the business was running, but new business wasn't coming in. I think in some ways I've, yeah, I probably have mellowed about that, Deborah. It's kind of like, it'll be what it'll be, you know. I'm, a, I'm yeah. a little bit more kind of what I mean what what did happen with that breaking down of the ego is we have this illusion of control over our lives like we're actually in control and I tell you what we're not it's it's a massive illusion we're all one phone call away from our world crumbling aren't we and um mine mine just happened like that so this kind of illusion that I'm controlling everything it, it, my sort of metaphor analogy was um you know pretending to be the surfer who's in control but actually you're being you know you're being crashed by the waves really and once you accept that and you decide to go along for the ride um yeah maybe you are a bit more mellow with it you've you've kind of you have plans and you go along with it but i tell you what you just you're being swept along with life's kind of waves you know yeah yeah absolutely and in that moment in the hospital over that period you must have I mean it's it I'd never thought about it like this but what you've highlighted for me I suppose is that you hit the darkest point you will ever ever hit but also you hit the absolute high of that moment when you come round and that moment when you see Susie and your parents and Kylan that you know and, and it's those extremes of emotion that you know, must be really, some people may never, ever, you know, you meet these people that live life a little bit flatlined and um, my mum and yeah. dad always say one of the challenges with you, Deborah, is either it's down here or it's up there, you know, there's <laughs> the highs and lows. But in, and I I, I believe I, I'm mindful and try and really live every moment, but you're taking that to such an extreme yeah 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 because um i've had a taste <laughs> of mm. the nothing you know or seriously facing the nothing i know there's millions of people every day who, who do that but obviously it's very intensely personal for me and i can live to tell the tale really and yeah touch touch some a dark night of the soul is the perfect explanation for that and then hitting the high when i woke up i i, I honestly thought I'm not going to take a moment for granted ever again. And I don't think I will. Do you have little... So over the last 12 months, we've all had our challenges over the last 12 months. And, you know, you could naively... People listening to this might think, well, you've been in that dark place and you, you really are going to live life to the full. But at the end of the day life isn't plain sailing so do you have to dig deep do you have tools that you use to help you in those in those moments yeah i mean in some ways obviously the, this has been a completely different situation um nowhere near as intense as the last one <laughs> thankfully <laughs> but much more you know encompassing and, and and kind of you know everyone's in on it whereas you know that that was quite you know quite insular to my family let's say um but yeah i think whatever i learned then i, I probably took probably took forward forward to this um and it, so some of the lasting effects for me it, it, i've had a, a problem with memory loss 
um, or short-term memories, bit bit shot really. Um, I can sometimes get aphasia, I think it's called, where I can't find the words. Not so much these days, but the first few years I was struggling to find the words to say, which is something stroke victims um, suffer from a lot. We've we've seen it in our family. So yeah, and, and Susie said my um, personality changed. I became um, a bit more aggressive and mm. um, I got mad at a lot quicker, mm. which when we've looked into it is a, is um, quite a quite an, a normal thing Common. to happen mm. doesn't make it any easier for for my wife or my no. son because <laughs> I can fly off the handle where I was, I was quite chill before <laughs> I can fly off the handle very quickly the fuse is very short and um everyone says it's it's a it's a it's an effect of a brain hemorrhage is that and so some, they're some, adapting some, aren't they yeah they're they adapting are. and mm. they said you know most people wouldn't see that you have to live with someone to see that don't you mm. you have to be with them every day to see that um so you know, I haven't got away unscathed, but if, compared to what could have happened, I'm I'm in a pretty good place. Let's say, you know, um, still got amazing people around me, and yeah, it's just living life to the full as much as we can. We've, been, we've not been able to do that much recently, have we? But oh, I know. Um, I just wish we were doing this in person. It's crazy because but... a year later, um, I'd been working on a project in Hungary, some branding. When I got back to it. And one of the um, one of the, the sort of CEOs said, uh, "I got this email over Christmas, and they said, Paul, um, I don't really work operationally much in this this business anymore that you've been working on. I'm 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 um, I'm I'm, I'm uh, oh, I can't remember what it is. I'm on, on the board of um, a school in Bali, and we need some branding support." <laughs> I turned around <laughs> to Susie and I said, "Suze, yeah." I might be going to Bali. She's like, you're not going to bloody Bali without me. <laughs> yeah. And um, every email that came through, it was like, actually, we, we'd need you to come to Bali, but then we need to fly to Singapore for a meeting. And I'm like, Suze, I might be going to Singapore. She's like, <laughs> and then um, it turned out, because the flight stopped off in Qatar, um, one of our clients was in Qatar, I'd never met him in person. So I said, can I stop over a few few days? And he said, of course you can. So a year to the day of having a hemorrhage, I'm I'm flying to Bali on my own. I mean, a year to the day. So Susie was helping me walk around the the, the block, you know, steadying my arm. And then a year later, I'm I'm on my own, and she's in absolute bits, as you can imagine. Um, yeah. And then it was two days later. I think I made her feel better when. I'm FaceTiming her from a jacuzzi in the back garden going, I'm, I'm, I'm way more chilled out than I'm in Leeds. You're going to be fine. <laughs> so there's only a little bit of work interspersed with experiencing Bali. So I think, I think that made her feel better. But nevertheless, I got really ill in Singapore. I got, I got, um, I got the belly. Uh, and yeah, um, she yeah. was, you know, yeah. however many miles away, couldn't do anything. <laughs> you know, still, still reeling from brain hemorrhage and, so yeah, that was that was not yeah. good. That, I was on my own in a hotel room, kind of thing. Was um, Bali spiritual? I mean, you know, it's always plain, uh, painted as this spiritual place. I'm thinking of films like and books like Eat, Pray, Love, and all those. You know, and again, we're talking cliches here. But is it? Did it feel a spiritual place? Uh, well, some of the places I went to were obviously amazing, but it's in like a lot of places over there. It's it's a game of two halves. Mm. You know, you you drive through abject poverty and you know rabid dogs wandering around and people begging and then you mm. turn the corner and you're in a five-star resort it's it's not 
it's not fair yeah. really it's not good yeah. it's not good but the places i went to were obviously amazing <laughs> yeah. they took me to some of the re- really beautiful places i didn't really see the spiritual side of it i was I, I was i was tasked with going to the green school which is um this amazing world world sort of world-renowned school that teaches sustainability to children um so you know to be experiencing that a year after that i, I was in again the the presence while i was there was insane really because i knew what i'd been through and I'm, i still have to take paris uh, aspirin every single day yeah. for the rest of my life now you know to thin my blood because of the stents so every day when i'm taking that there's a little bit of me that remembers that's your hook in the day too yeah yeah, it must be and do you how about from a confidence point of view did it i mean it must have knocked your confidence at first how did you definitely yeah yeah i mean i used to do a lot of speaking Hmm. before that happened um i don't yeah it's only it's only now when i sort of feel a little bit more confident to do stuff like that like i was i was booked to speak last year and then obviously the pandemic hit as you know it was for our, our amazing friend Debbie Whitaker. I was going mm-hmm. to talk about this so God knows what that would have been like on stage I feel like this is a precursor to actually talking about it in front of people um, so yeah definitely knocked confidence massively I would say I felt someone said to me uh, they replied on LinkedIn I think and they said um, we all feel indestructible um, and I said I feel destructible now <laughs> mm-hmm. and that's probably not even a word is it we never say destructible <laughs> do we but um yeah I'm sort of quite aware of how fragile everything is so health is one of my top priorities actually you know um because if I way above any clients and you know you even need to put it above above your family at times because if you're not healthy you can't look after them yeah it's the old gas mask not gas mask oxygen mask mask, yeah 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 put your put your own on first definitely (laughs) Yeah, yeah 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 um so health is 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 massive for me i've been blessed with this second chance let's call it let's let's use it so what do you so um a couple of weeks ago i had mercedes on talking about health and and well-being what what are your mantras for the day what what is how do you set up your day for the ideal day i started you know years ago i read i read all about morning routines you know um all all the, all the all the great achievers have a morning routine so that i think that's one of the keys for me um anyone who wakes up and starts doom scrolling through the phone and, and answering emails is is setting themselves off on a, a bad bad day so i get up have um a very mindful full glass of water and then i do about 20 15 to 20 minutes of like pilates because sitting at a computer all day wrecks your back yeah. so that's my sort of core strength flexibility and then i read something inspiring and then um yeah i start getting on with my day and have something to eat and i always have a really good breakfast <laughs> one of the things my staff said this madeline said you're like a you're like a a human energy bar you just <laughs> you got too much energy what do you eat in the morning so um yeah i try and have a good brekkie full of full of fruit and you know seeds and chia seeds and all that kind of stuff to kind of set me up and i drink a lot of water and then just classic stuff really keep your body moving however you want running swimming cycling yeah all that kind of cardio stuff really um yeah i used to try and do weights but not so much these days obviously not so much in the last year because none of us can go anywhere to do that um so yeah water definitely and i think just having a positive outlook is 
I was just about to say that's all about your mindset because you are this bundle of energy (laughs) and you you know even in the membership on the calls on um on the Monday group calls that we have in the membership and you come on some days and certainly over the last 12 months understandably people have been struggling but you tend to come on with this energy and even through the zoom you you feel the energy and that I think you take that for granted if you have that energy but actually not everybody does have it do they and is that something you're really conscious of? Do you lift the energy sometimes if you feel it dropping in the room? Or is that just Paul? Yeah. I, I don't know, actually. Um, no, it's probably just me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, it's yeah, just you. I, you are quite sensitive to energy in room, but I always just bound in anyway and do what I do. If people bounce off it, it's all good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember at the last one, the last... Um, podcast we did and I can remember Anthony saying the uh, Anthony the producer was saying the volume's getting louder and louder because I think we can both <laughs> sort of bounce the energy around yeah and, I wish uh, we'd done this in person really this one it would have oh. probably cried a lot more I reckon <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I, I, well yes uh it, we wouldn't have been able to do it socially distanced would no, it because no. uh I'd have needed to give you a hug and, yeah, and likewise yeah, but definitely yeah yeah um Paul, I can't thank you enough. Um, I mean, I've I've heard your story before, and it, it touches me every time. And I, I feel so privileged that you've shared it today. And I know that you know, as as somebody who's known you a long time, you're a very very dear friend. And um, gosh, I'm going again now. You're getting me emotional again. Yeah, thank you, and oh, thank you thank for you. being the person you are. I echo everything you've said. I can't speak at the minute. I hope you've enjoyed today's conversation and I'd love you to join in the conversation as well. The best way to do that is through social media and I can be found at Instagram and Twitter at DO underscore impact. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter or learn more about my monthly membership, The Impact Club, please visit the website at deborahogden.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of On Brand With, I would so appreciate it if you would rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people know we exist. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to On Brand With. It was hosted by Deborah Ogden and produced by me, Anthony Short. This has been an A Short Stories production.